Welcome to Write Your Book in a Flash with Dan Janelle, the only podcast where you'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made more money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more, go to writeyourbookinaflash.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome my good friend, Weston Lyon. How are you doing today, Weston? I'm good, Dan. How are you? Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. My pleasure. You know, Weston is one of the few people who I trust with my clients' manuscripts. Everyone who comes to me with a manuscript says, you know, hey, I want to write a book. But they fail to realize one important thing. A manuscript is not a book. A first draft is not a book. When you've written your book, when you have your manuscript done, when you've had your beta testers look at it and your reviewers look at it and give you feedback and you're all set to say, I'm done, this is great. You're basically looking at a Word file and saying, well, how do I turn this thing into printed pages? How do I turn this into an electronic copy? How do I... And then thousands of questions pop into your mind. Copy editing, proofreading, layout, cover, design, back cover, uploading to Amazon. Ah! That's the production side that Weston helps with. So, Weston, why don't you tell people a little bit about your journey to becoming um, my go-to guy for turning a manuscript into a book? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, you, thanks, thank you so much uh, for setting that up like that because you hit so many points on there. Yeah, a manuscript is, well, first of all, a first draft isn't even a manuscript yet. Like, I mean, there's so many things that you can do with a first draft. Like, if you don't have a developmental editor like Dan, you, you need to hop right on board and, and get some developmental editing if you haven't written a book yet. That's one of the biggest things. Like, you have authors who haven't written a book and authors who have written a book. And the ones who have written a book can kind of move through that process a little easier than first-timers. But if you're a first-timer and you don't know what you're doing, having a developmental editor would be a huge help. Second, you mentioned that you know a manuscript isn't, a, uh, isn't ready for uh, – it is ready for publishing, but it's, it's not a book yet. And that's, that's where I come in. And, and I, I'm so appreciative and honored that uh, you and I have started working together, Dan. And uh, all, your, all the clients that you've sent me have been extremely happy. And the, and the bottom line is this. There's, there's 639 steps in the publishing process. And now I'll talk about three main steps that everyone needs to be aware of. But there's a lot, there are a lot of steps when it comes to publishing a book. In fact, let me take one second and just back up because there's three main phases that I think all of your listeners should know about whenever it comes to writing and publishing a book so they can either grow their business or start a business of, of writing and publishing. So those three phases are, are really easy. It's phase one is writing, phase two is publishing, and phase three is marketing. Mm-hmm. So as an example, uh, in the writing phase, either you've written the book yourself or you've hired a ghostwriter like Dan to help you write that book. Uh, and, and if you're writing the book yourself, you might have a de- developmental editor. You might be doing it all on your own. But nevertheless, once you have that first draft and that second draft done, you have your manuscript ready to go, then you move from the writing phase into the publishing phase. And in the publishing phase, like I said, there's 639 steps. There's three main ones that you need to be aware of. Number one is editing. Number two is design. And number three is publishing. That's the publishing phase. And then once you're done with the publishing phase, 
once the book is done, you have, your, you have either a printed book, a Kindle book, both, what have you, then you're going to move into the marketing phase. And that's where you're going to start you know, getting readers and uh, converting those readers into clients, so on and so forth, depending on your goals um, in that phase. Wow, 639 steps. Now you know why I don't get involved with this at all. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure, but I think there's 639 bones in the human body. I, I think there's a, a close correlation there. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's daunting, uh, and that's why as writers, uh, I personally don't want to get involved in any of that because it's way, way, way too detailed work. Um, let's let's break each of those down in the time we have today. Uh, let's talk about the editing. Um, wh- what should a, a, an, an author do to make sure that they are ready? to speak with someone like you, that their manuscript is really rock solid. Can they do any, can they make any changes once they give the book to you? I guess that was my real question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, actually, there's two questions in there. So what can they do before they uh, come to someone like me? Well, number one is make sure that, you know, it's not just a first draft. Don't just like slop it all on a piece of paper and hand it over to someone. (laughs) What you want to do is you want to read it a couple times yourself. You want to make changes. It's a good idea to get a couple friends uh, just to read it over. That they might help you. And again, if you're not hiring like a developmental editor, or, uh, you might have friends just to read it over. If they're good at English, even better. They're not going to make all the corrections. That's what we do in the publishing phase. However, that's going to at least get it to the point of where it's it's good enough to move into the publishing phase. And then once we have it then we're going to clean it all up. We're going to polish it. So we look for spelling, grammar, punctuation. We make sure the, uh, the writing is clear and it flows. And that's really a big thing um, that you want. You want writing that's clear and then it flows and it makes sense and it's going to help you achieve your goal. And then you had a, a second question in there, Dan. So the first question was answer. The second question was what? You said, that you, you said your real question was... What, what what can they do to really make sure that uh, your job is easier? Because uh, I know that some companies, if you make any changes, um, if the author, rather, makes any changes to the manuscript after they turn it in, it creates a whole cascading effect of uh, Absol- re-editing yeah. and, and, and charges yeah, so and such. So it's key to actually, I'm sorry, it's key to actually get it as close to humanly, close to done as you possibly can before uh, turning something like that in. Because then we're going to edit it, and I'll tell you this. Here's the easiest way to answer it. If we spot something that doesn't make sense, if we spot something that isn't clear, we're going to do one of two things. We're either going to come back to you and say, hey, listen, there's some spots in here that really need some help. Let's help you with that. And we'll kind of help you massage it. Or if you're working with you know, a, a ghostwriter, we would, we, and most likely that's not going to happen if you're working with a ghostwriter. They're going to send it a nice, clean copy. That's why I love working with Dan. Every, every client that we receive from Dan, you know, the, uh, the books come to us nice and clean, and we don't have to go back to them. However, if they do, we're going to say, hey, go back to your ghostwriter. Or, hey, you might want to look at these th- several things. We, we'll coach them through that process. If it's close and we kind of know what they're going to say, we'll actually make the changes ourselves, and then we'll send it back to them and say, hey, we made a couple changes, and we, hi- we have a color-coded system that we highlight to make it really easy. And uh, you know, read it over it. If it sounds good, we'll prove it, and we'll, we'll move forward. If it doesn't sound good, let's coach through that process to make sure that everything is, is good to go on your end. Because, again, clarity is key. Okay. You know, a lot of people have trouble understanding the difference between a copy editor and a proofreader and a line editor. Can you tell us what each of those people do and in what order they do it in? That's a great question. You would actually probably be able to answer that better than I can. 
because I, in all honesty, I kind of lump everything together. And, he, and here's why I do it that way. I look at there's two types of editors, in my opinion. There's different names for everything, but there's a developmental editor, and then there's a line editor. And you, you can say whatever you want about that, but the developmental editing side is whenever you're actually developing the story. You're developing the message. You're trying to figure out how the book is structured, how the book flows. That's done in the writing phase, by the way. In the publishing phase, that's where we're going to take it and we're going to clean it all up. And that's I don't even call it line editing to my clients. I just call it editing. It just simplifies the whole process. I think there's way too many moving parts for them to uh, they're going to get, going to get confused on. So I really try to make sure everything is simplified. Here, here are the three phases. Here are the three steps. Here's everything you have to know. You don't have to know all the, the ins and outs of the publishing phase. All you have to know is that your book is going to be edited, designed, and published whenever you're done in the publishing phase. Great. Let's talk about the editing process. Um, let's say your editors come up with uh, interesting ideas and thoughts, and they send it back to the author. Do they have to make those changes or these suggestions or in, uh, improvements? I, I, I guess for grammar, it certainly is, you know, you must do this. But for other questions, how much latitude does the author have versus the publisher? A gr- great question. Uh, it's a back and forth. So and it's, it's pretty streamlined. Like whenever we have our hands on it, we're going to make the book the best book it could possibly be. So like from a grammar standpoint, we're going to just make the corrections. Um, we actually send two, co- we send two um, versions, if you will, to our clients. One is called a sloppy copy and one is called a clean copy. Hmm. I tell them, listen. If you want to go back through and check our work, feel free. I'm going to give you the sloppy copy version. <laughs> and the sloppy copy version shows literally hundreds, if not thousands, of highlights. And that's where we made changes. And they're different color coded. So, like, if it's simple grammar, we, we put it in a specific color. If it's, hey, we change this whole paragraph around, we put it in a different color than that so it sticks out. And we, we go back to them and say, read over this. Make sure it sounds good to you. If it sounds good, then let's just move forward. If it doesn't sound good, how can we make it sound better? Um, because ultimately, Dan, it's their book. I don't, um, I'm not a publisher per se. I facilitate the self-publishing process. So it's my, all my clients, they keep 100% of the rights. It's their book. They can do whatever they want with it. I'm going to make suggestions based on being in this industry. I've written 20 books myself. I've been in this industry for 10 years helping entrepreneurs write and publish and grow their businesses with their book. All my suggestions, you know, it's, I'm not trying to, I don't have an agenda for them. It's how do I make this book the best book it could possibly be for your audience? Great. Have we covered everything in the editing phase or are there other important things that we should talk about here before we move to the design phase? No, everything is covered in the editing. It's <laughs> editing is simple from a high level view. It's just, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of work. Um, as an example, it takes, uh, I have two editors on staff and whenever they receive a manuscript from someone, it takes them, I give them four weeks to get done with that manuscript because they're going to go through it two to three times, uh, depending on the size of the book. And like, so we're trying to catch every mistake possible, but it's not going to happen. Actually, that's, that's a really good point. Not all mistakes are going to get caught. Even when you have an editor looking at them, if you go to Barnes and Nobles today, buy a book off of Amazon, I guarantee there's at least a dozen mistakes in every single book on the bookshelves today. It's impossible to catch everything. However, our goal is to eliminate as many mistakes as possible. Whenever our clients see that sloppy copy come back and they see all the highlights, I say, listen, just look at the sloppy copy for, you know, uh, just for your own edification. 
and then just shut that down and look at the clean copy so you don't have to look at all the mistakes <laughs> that were you know made during the editing process. Yeah, very true. I, I use a program called uh, um, Pro Writing Aid. It's like Grammarly on steroids, and it points out words you use too many times and things that you wouldn't normally think about as a normal person. And yeah. uh, I, I had one of my clients use that program one time, and he, uh, he came back the next week and he said, you know, it found a thousand errors. <laughs> and he was a highly literate person, just like everyone listening to the, this show. But that's yeah. what a program can do. And, of course, your editors can find other things as well. So it's, uh, it, it's no badge of shame when you have those things are just marks to be corrected. And oh, absolutely. In yeah. fact, let me point that out, Dan. I've written 20 books, and we're just finishing up another book in a book series uh, this week, and we're going to be publishing it in November. And um, it's a fiction book series. I, I don't usually write fiction books, but my family decided over COVID quarantine to write some fiction books. And so we wrote a five-book series, and book two is coming out. And I tell you this because we were going over before it went into editing, because, again, I, I make sure my books go through the exact same process that all my clients go through. So we write the book, we put it in the editing, and it comes back with all these mistakes. We're writers. We do this on a regular basis. You can't possibly catch everything. And it's so funny. Like, even like simple like words and simple uh, things that you miss in a sentence, because you've read it 500 times, by the time it goes into the editing phase, you, you, you can't even see it. It's, it's really unreal. Uh, totally true. In fact, I, I wrote a press release the other day, and in the author's bio, I just basically copied and pasted her bio into the press release, and she came back to me and said, you said I only had 82 clients. Where did you get that number from? I have thousands of clients. That, that, where'd that and I said, well, it was on your bio, and she looked at it and said, oh, my God. <laughs> my bio's wrong. <laughs> yeah, so we, we see what we expect to see. Okay, so we've beaten the, the editing phase to death. What happens next? <laughs> we have. We have uh, the next the next piece of the puzzle is design. So you have front cover design and you have back cover design, and then you also have interior layout. You also have spine design, but spine really depends on page count. So in a um, in a paperback book, you need 130 pages. Just an FYI, you need 130 pages in your paperback book to even get uh, spine text. Um, to even put text on the spine. Yeah, I made that mistake. I had a 96 page book and nothing fit on the spine and. Uh... Yeah, uh, live and learn. Uh, so <laughs> good to know about the 130 pages, even if four of those are blank at the end. <laughs> take, oh, yeah, put, exactly. put notes. Like you. you know, take notes here. Four four blank pages for notes. Uh, yeah. So how many words would that be? 100, 130 pages. Great question. I typically, I'm a, as you can probably tell, I'm different than most people in this industry. Most people go by page or go by word count. I actually don't. I go by page count. Hmm. Um, and the, the reason I do this, because I've, I've just developed a system over the years where we put our uh, manuscripts into a template, and then at the in the final piece, we get a, um, we're able to convert everything into a paperback book, a Kindle book, and a PDF ebook. And so it's roughly a two-to-one ratio. And what I mean by that is in a Word document. So if you have, let's say, 50 pages in your Word document, your manuscript, then you're going to have roughly 100 pages in your final six-by-nine paperback book. Now, that can change. Um, based on a, a number of factors, but that's a rough estimate. It's roughly two to one. So if you're shooting for, and I always tell all my clients, in reality, you really want to shoot for 75 pages in a Word document. That, that's a book. Because 75 pages will turn into a 150-page paperback book. Between 50 and 100 pages is a sweet spot. 75 is really 
ideal because 150 pages is doable. It's re- everyone can look at that book and say, hey, I can read that book. And that's, that's the key to uh, writing a book that's actually read is something, unless you're dealing with like a fiction-type uh, audience where they actually love to read hundreds and hundreds of pages. If you're dealing with a business book, then you want between 100 and 200 pages. So to go back and answer your question, uh, you want – I don't look at uh, word count. I look at page count. So if we're shooting for 75 pages in a Word document, it'll turn into a 150-page book at the end. Did that answer your question, Dan? Uh, sure. So, uh, again, going back to the Word document file, and, and I know you provide your clients with a sample template that they can work with, and I've used that with my clients as well. Um, yeah. Are we talking about single spacing or double spacing? Or, to put it another way, how many words per page on a, on a Word document are on a page? Roughly four to 500. Four to 500 words per page. Great. Okay. Because yep. some people double space or... Single space. Yeah, our, our spacing is one and a quarter. Perfect. One and a quarter. Excellent. Great. Cool. Okay. Um, what do people need to know about designing a good cover, especially for a business book? Because that's really our audience. Yeah. Uh, great question. Uh, number one, don't do it yourself. Uh, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, you, you, want, you want to hire a professional to do that. Mm. Um, uh, you can design it yourself. And I, in my first two books, I actually did design myself. And it was just to get the book out into the marketplace. However, I learned very quickly, and again, it all depends on your goal, um, very quickly that book covers sell. And, you know, you've all, you've, we've all heard the old adage, you know, uh, never judge a book by its cover. That's true. We would hope humans would not do that. But, you know, human to human. But in, in the book world, we do judge books by their cover. <laughs> I'm in this industry. When I go on Amazon to buy a new book, I'm attracted by covers. It's the attraction that really gets them, you know, to turn the book over uh, or open the book up to see if they're actually going to read that book. Book covers are extremely important. When it comes to business people, it doesn't matter as much in terms of thumbnail. So there's two different industries. There's the nonfiction, which are more like business people, and then there's the fiction world. In the fiction world, your thumbnail, meaning the little picture of your cover on Amazon, means a lot. It's, it's a huge uh, selling point. In the business world, it does matter. It doesn't matter as much as in the fiction world, but it does matter. And there's two different types of front covers you can have. You can have image-driven covers or you can have word-driven covers. Um, and it really just depends on the type of brand you're looking to build. So, for instance, if you're trying to build a personal brand, maybe putting your picture, getting new headshots done um, and different types of those headshots and putting your image on the front is a good way to brand um, yourself. Uh, a lot of my books don't have that. A lot of my books are word-driven. So, for instance, uh, my latest book, Stop Chasing Prospects, it's big letters, Stop Chasing Prospects, and then it has a a subtitle at the bottom. And so both covers work. It really just depends on what you're going for. The the other thing I would say is don't brand your book um, with your logo colors necessarily. Uh, You can do that, and there's a way to do that, but if you're you're doing it yourself, it's going to look really cheesy. And uh, the book is really not meant to be, even if it's for your business, it's not meant to be a, a marketing piece, even though it is. It's meant to, to position you as an authority in your field. And putting your logo on it or putting your logo colors on it can be, uh, you can poorly position yourself by doing that because now someone sees it as a marketing piece versus as an educational piece. And even though we're using it as a marketing piece, as a marketing tool, an educational piece is actually key because it positions you as that authority, that expert, that go-to person in the field. 
Wow, that's great advice. Uh, and I have clients who, 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 who wonder about that because do I put my picture on the cover? Is that vain or is that good marketing? What would you yeah. tell them? Say that again. If people, people who are shy about putting their pictures on the cover, say coaches or consultants, who are really selling themselves. They're, they yeah. want to position themselves as an expert. So they're probably more uh, helped by having an image-driven cover um, but they're sort of shy about putting their faces on a cover. What would you tell them? Uh, well, I mean, I would coach them through that. So we would determine if it's right for them. Should they put their, their face on the cover? Because you can always put your face on the back cover if you don't feel like uh, you want to put it on the front cover. You can use a, There's five different um, types of back covers that you can have that we can talk about here in a second if you'd like. But um, your, your picture can go in the front or the back. What I would tell them is it's not about you. It's about branding yourself and building and building your brand. So don't, um, even though you don't like your picture or even though you don't, you know, you're not, you don't call yourself photogenic branding yourself. If that's what you're in, if that's what you're going for, like coaches, consultants, speakers, that's what I would definitely recommend. Um, they put their, they could put their face on the cover, it, but it's really, you want to build a relationship with your reader. And, and everyone knows this whenever they're uh, putting together a website or other marketing material. When you put your face to something or put your face on something, it starts building that rapport immediately. And that's really what a book does anyway. Just putting your name on it is going to build rapport. It's going to build you or position you as the authority. Putting your face on is just another extra layer of that authority positioning. Perfect. Um, you mentioned five back covers. We don't have time to go into all five of them, but give us you know, some of the highlights. What should, we be looking, what should we be looking for? Yeah. Um, we don't have to go into details about these, but I'll give you the overview of them all. Um, so you have the text-only cover, a back cover. You have testimonials only. You have text plus testimonials. And then you can have text plus a biopic and then all of them. It really depends on what you're going for and the size of your book. Uh, so, for instance, um, if you have phenomenal testimonials, then you should either have a testimony, like all testimonials on the back, or you should mix it between text and testimonials, meaning like one or two paragraphs to pull someone in, and then like two or three or four testimonials to drive home the fact that you're an expert in your field. If you don't have testimonials, like if you don't have great endorsements from people, and we can, <laughs> I can talk about that all day because there's different types of endorsements and reasons why you would have that and, and, the, and the credentials that you would want, but the bottom line is if you don't have great endorsements, then you're going to want to use a text-driven back cover where you actually use like sales copy to pull them in, where you have two, three, four paragraphs explaining you know, what is inside this book. You might have some bullets giving some ideas of what the chapters look like. It's really uh, – the back cover is really a sales copy job. It's not even a, – a, there's two different types of writing, and I know you know this, Dan, but there's, there's content writing and there's copywriting. The content writing is that education-based. The copywriting is sales-based. So the back cover is all about sales. It's about pulling someone in. It has to be intriguing. So one way to easily do that on the back cover is to tell the audience what the book is about and what the book is not about. And by doing that, you reframe or position the content inside that book in a specific way. So you might present a problem to someone on the, in the first paragraph and state how this book is not about this, this, or this. Instead, it's about this. And then give you know a couple bullet points on what is it exactly inside the book. By doing so, 
you present a problem and you present the book as a solution and it pulls the reader in. So if they're on Amazon, they might look at, you know, do the, the look inside uh, feature that Amazon has. If they're looking at your book in person, they're going to, you know, open it and they're going to start flipping through the pages. Most people go to the table of contents to look at that. Perfect. That's great. Uh, we're sort of at the end of our time today. I, w- I wish we had more time to talk about publishing. Maybe we'll have you back and uh, do another segment on the publishing phase of this, but you've given us a lot of tremendous information. Weston, tell us who your perfect client is and how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, perfect clients are coaches, consultants, and speakers, and what I call education-based service providers. So those are service providers like financial advisors, chiropractors, custom jewelry designers, people who uh, offer a service but are education-based, meaning they use education as their number one marketing tool. And if someone wants to get a hold of me, they can just go to my website, plugandplaypublishing.com. That's plugandplaypublishing.com. Or they can shoot me an email if they'd like. It's really, really easy. And I'm sure Dan will have it in the notes. Fantastic. Thanks for being with us today, Weston. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening to Write Your Book in a Flash with Dan Janelle the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.